Hello, welcome to Bookworms. I'm Alex. And I'm Joe. And this is the podcast where we get together and we talk about books that we have read recently. Books that we enjoy. Books that we love. Books that we just can't get enough of. Books that we want to take to a nice dinner and then treat respectfully, call them, and then uh, send an occasional romantic text saying, I'm glad I met you. You mean ghost it like you usually do? Yeah, and then they stop responding because <laughs> they're meanies. So this week, or this month, I should say, we are talking about The Coldest Girl in Cold Town. This was uh, my pick. Yeah, and uh, what a pick it was. Uh, why, why did you pick this book? Well, Holly Black is easily my favorite YA author. Pretty much the only one I will read consistently. And this has got to be one of my favorite vampire books of all time also. I put it up there with Dracula and Interview. That's high praise. It is, it is. Yeah, it's not like you have a shortage of vampire books out there, especially in teen fiction. Reading this one, it really did stand out against a lot of that schlock that's out there. Yeah, it's definitely got its a different tune than what most of them have that I've noticed these days, not that I've read a lot of those books. But, you know, I said I, I read this one, and it was shortly after I had read Holly Black's Modern Fairy Tale Trilogy, and I was hooked from the beginning. Yeah, the only other book I read by her was Doll Bones. I couldn't really tell you what it was about. <laughs> it's been so long. Uh, I do remember enjoying it. It's clearly stuck in my head, and even though I haven't glanced at a copy of that book in a while, and I still remember having read it. She also did the uh, Spiderwick Chronicles with Tony Lisi, which is a fantastic series. She's done a lot of books, actually, and had a lot of success. She is currently working on a series for another fairy tale retelling that has been quite entertaining, I think. Not as good as this book, but still, still pretty up there. Nice. Before we get into it, you mentioned this is a vampire story and there's a lot of teen fiction that's centered around vampires. Just in general, what do you think is the fascination with vampires with young people these days? Well, it's kind of the glamorous monster. The forever young, it's the drinking of blood, which is kind of like drinking a red wine. It's the nightlife the sexuality of everything just everyone loves a good vampire yeah i agree vampires have been around for ever yeah for a long long time dracula is generally considered the first popular vampire story the first one to really make it into literature yeah and it's just vampires they're sexy they're young they're immortal they're gonna live forever They, they get to sit around and party all night and have very few consequences and there's just that sensual being close to somebody and I can see as a younger person how there would be appeal to that. Okay, well, let's get into the book. We'll start with the what the book it's about on the back of the cover here. Cold Town was dangerous. Tana knew the glamorous cage, a prison for the damned and anyone who wanted to party with them. Tana lives in a world where walled cities called Cold Towns exist in them. Quarantine monsters and humans mingle in a decadently bloody mix of predator and prey. And once you pass through Coldtown's gates, you can never leave. One morning, after 
after a perfectly ordinary party, Tana wakes up surrounded by corpses. The only other survivors of this massacre are her exasperating, endearing ex-boyfriend, infected and on the edge, and a mysterious boy burdened with a terrible secret. Shaken and determined, Tana enters a race against the clock to save the three of them the only way she knows how, by going straight to the wicked, opulent heart of Coal Town itself. Yeah, and with that, I want to just kind of jump in right away to the chapter one. Alex has a bone to pick here. So the opening sentence is, well, I'll read it to you. It's, Tana woke lying in a bathtub. Now, anyone... Well, hold on. Let's before we get into that. Let's, you know, because even before that opening sentence, what's the first thing we see in the, the the book? And this is the basically the chapter headings for every book. There will be some morbid or you know, spooky uh, quote from someone else uh, in the head of chapter one. It's nothing can happen more beautiful than death by Walt Whitman. So to kind of set the tone for what we're about to get into. So, go on to your gripe about the opening sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm glad she opened with a quote from, you know, a legendary immortal poet, a beautiful musing on death, because, like, to go back to the opening sentence here, Tana woke lying in a bathtub, which anybody who's ever taken even one creative writing class, the creative writing teacher will tell you, never start a story with somebody waking up because it is one of the most well-worn tropes in all of literature you can think of any story try and think of any story from the past you've probably read it a hundred times someone starts the story by waking up could you have this book was written a decade ago so for many readers that was like the beginning of time that's very true so this could have been the first one so it wasn't a trope until holly black did it (laughs) exactly she she was the last one she got the last one in now it's not like the worst person waking up sentence ever because it's cool like why is she in the bathtub but it could also start we find out pretty quick she's at a party and is kind of waking up from a night of uh, drinking and kind of just passed out in the bathtub could it have started with her puking her guts up in a toilet or looking at herself in the bathroom mirror and just seeing what a hot mess she is i mean there's there's other ways to do it i would have if i as a writer did it it would have been different of course uh holly black is a bestseller and um how many books have you sold alex (laughs) (laughs) well moving on that's the only it's the only gripe i had about the uh early parts of the book because things pick up very quickly from there as she goes out back into the house from the bathroom and finds just a pile of corpses of her friends. Yeah, we basically run into vampires almost immediately and we're put in this world where vampires are just a reality. So I guess we'll start with talking about the vampires. We've already done a little bit. But how are the vampires in this story similar to vampires in other stories and how are they different what i liked about the portrayal of the vampires in this story is that it's very duplicitous so there's this is a world where vampires are heavily normalized though uh, people are still told to be careful around them yet there are bounty hunting shows about vampires there's 
reality shows about vampires, hidden camera shows, vampires are on everyone's mind all the time. And the media in, in this book really portrays vampires as this sexy, attractive thing that is something people might want to strive to be because it's fun, it's free, it's amazing sensations all the time. When in reality, most vampires in this story, they live in squalor. They're constantly racked with guilt from taking lives of people so that they can preserve their own. That's a very interesting way of kind of peeling back the layers of these characters. Yeah, I think Holly Black definitely pulled a lot from Interview with a Vampire for how the vampire structure works with makers and uh, makeys and... Yeah, just how they, on the outside, show living lavishly, but on the microscopic view, they're basically glorified zombies. They're just sucking off the living to eke out their existence, and they just don't have that vitality that the people that want to become vampires think that they have. They're also, when they people are turned, they, they are still kind of themselves. It's not like in, say, the Buffy TV show... Where as soon as you turn into a vampire, you're a whole new you. There's where you're just this demon, or you lose everything that you thought was you, and you can just go on killing without remorse. They they play at that, saying, you know, how can these people do that? As uh, the ex-boyfriend Aiden keeps saying and telling Tana, he feels like his feelings and emotions are amped up to. 11 but as we we learn later when people are hurt his amped up emotions are still at 11 and that these older vampires they can kill without remorse because when they're from a different time where death wasn't as big of a deal everyone died all around them all the time and they've just done it for so long they no longer care for those people that are sustaining them yeah, and Aiden, especially as a character, is a great study of that because we see him from the like shortly after he's bitten to when he finally turns when the, after they reach Cold Town, and we see like he's becoming more and more unstable as they're driving along. He needs to drink vampire blood to stave off the cravings, but it's it becomes stronger and stronger, and he can't take it anymore. However, when he does finally drink human blood, he loses all control, and he kills the first person he drinks from, who's somebody who has traveled with him and trusted him. And after he does that, he almost immediately feels that hot regret that comes from taking a life. And, I mean, the, the good thing... That or not, maybe not a good thing, but the, the thing we also see about Aiden and Tana, why the vampires kind of like them versus other people is they're always pushing the envelope anyways. They're not kind of wannabes. They're they're willing to take their risk takers. They're, they're always, when Tana and Aiden were dating, they were always pushing each other further and further, trying to play chicken with each other to see who would, say, stop first and relationship type stuff and cheating type stuff. And the vampires find that refreshing, especially the older ones that have been around for too long who just don't know surprise anymore. Yeah, and I, I almost wish that they that Holly Black had maintained Aiden as a character because after he turns, he, his, he does fade away until the very end you see him again. But he doesn't really do much after he's changed. He sets a catalyst of events in motion with you know, he kills Winter, he turns Midnight, and then... Tana has to kill uh, Midnight. He doesn't uh, kill he Winter. Doesn't? 
Midnight kills Winter. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he kills someone else. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah he turns... <laughs> so he sets that catalyst in motion. He turns Midnight, who kills Winter, who then blames Tana for this whole mess. And then Tana has to kill Midnight, and that leads into the going into the mansion and having to fight the old vampires and aiden is the whole reason why they went to cold town to begin with i think tana would have found another way to get through her possible going cold if it wasn't for aiden already being the way he was and needing that setting to be able to become a vampire in a safe you know what she assumes is a safer place to become a vampire where she's he's not going to kill everybody around so him disappearing two-thirds of the way through kind of leaves this gaping hole in the story. And I am kind of glad we're talking about Aiden a lot before we talk about Tana. Because even though we meet Tana first, most of chapter one is kind of her thoughts uh, about Aiden. Which yeah, is she's definitely hung up amazing. on him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very hung up on him in the beginning. Uh, then after he turns, she does... Well, throughout the book, she begins feeling attraction towards uh, Gabrielle, who is one of those, we find out, is one of those ancient vampires. Yeah. We also, you know, we're going into this world not really knowing how the world went into this chaos with the vampires. And throughout the book, we get a lot of the backstory. Do you want to read a chapter about the backstory, or you want to do that later? Yeah, I can read that now. That'll help us. Yeah, we'll change... Moving to a different topic, so one thing is the chapter layout. Every odd chapter is about the current plot, and every even chapter is some form of backstory or side story that's going on around the main story. So through these backstories, we learn a ton about Tana and her relationship with her family and how vampirism has gone a long way in damaging that family unit. Yeah, her mother went to a party, got bitten, turned cold, which means she's in the process of becoming a vampire in Holly Black's world. You know, once you go cold, you can become a vampire by biting a human and drinking their blood. And when Tana's mom goes cold, her dad chains her in the basement. Yeah, as you do. As you do, as one would do. Right. You know, feeding her like, you know, serial killer's victim. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's one of the, other than chapter one with an entire party of young adults getting murdered. That is a very deep personal injury that Tana feels that caused by vampires. She's always been wary of them and her dad's done everything to protect his children from them. However, Tana's younger sister adores vampires still. Yeah, and part of Tana's problem is she's the one that her mother drank from to become a vampire. And then her father had to then take a shovel and hack off her mother's head in front of her. And then after that, he became an absentee father, basically going to work and then coming home and drinking himself into a stupor every night. So a very damaged young woman. Anyways, the chapter you want to read. I wanted to read uh, chapter 8. So this is like the chapter after we learned that Tana's mother got killed by Tana's father and that she she played a hand in that death because she let the mom out of the basement. But it goes like this. Sometimes there are stories in the news about little kids who do bad things because they don't know any better, like playing with loaded guns that go off and kill brothers or lighting matches that accidentally set fire to a whole house. It's not the kid's fault. Except that it is, really. Only no one wants to say it. Who else is there to blame? The kid is the one who disobeyed. The one who stole the keys and unlocked all the locks and almost let the bad thing out. What really happened in the basement of Tana's house 
wasn't like any of her happy dreams where she and her mother frolicked together. After she'd gone down the stairs, a monster had attacked her, mad with hunger, teeth gnawing with such ferocity that the vein in her arm was severed, goblets of flesh sliding down its throat. She had shrieked and shrieked for her mother, but her mother was already there. Her mother was the monster. When Tana woke up, she found out that it was her father who'd saved her. He'd used a shovel to hack off his wife's head. Then he'd made a tourniquet from a strip of his shirt and taken his disobedient daughter to the hospital, where doctors sewed up her arm. No one said it was her fault. No one said they hated her. No one said it was because of her that her mother was dead. No one had to. So that chapter is less than a page, and it basically covers almost all the things you need to know about Tana. That she doesn't trust vampires, that she's been injured by it, that her mother is gone, and that she is, respo is responsible, feels responsible for it. So it's, it's, very, it's very powerfully written. I wanted to read that because I thought it was the best written segment in the entire book. Yeah, it's definitely a very deep and emotional so let's uh, dig a little bit deeper into our protagonist. We kind of already have you know, her backstory. I guess uh, we'll start with uh, her thoughts towards Aiden. Why is she and Aiden, well, one, why are they ex-couple, an ex-couple? And, you know, what was their relationship like before the night that Aiden got bitten? Well, he... Toxic? <laughs> it's like, I don't like to use the word toxic, but it was pretty toxic. The, there was no communication. It was purely physical there they really had no true emotional connection it was yeah really... you almost get the sense like aiden's almost sociopath with the relationships where he's just he's bisexual turns tana bisexual and he's just going around making out and screwing anybody that will is willing and trying to get her to call him out and when she went up some on every time he's at first he thinks it's a fun game until he realizes that he can't win this game and have her call him out on it and scold him which is what he really wants yeah i think she is really with him as a form of self-punishment almost yeah and it's definitely why she's going to these parties and drinking and just kind of throwing her life away also that's what you do when you're like 19 she's closer to 17 but anyways, now let's talk about Gabriel, maybe? Yeah, we haven't got, really gotten into him. Yeah, I mean, he is kind of a big part. The, the love interest, the yeah. new love interest. Yeah, his, uh, his role in the story becomes central, especially towards the end. So yeah, when we meet him, he's basically, he's chained to a bed with Aiden. We don't know much about him other than that he's a vampire. And that there's other vampires that want to hurt him, which makes Tana want to save him because she figures the enemy of my enemy must be my friend. And his the introduction of his character introduces the introduction introduces. Oh, look at me! I'm on fire today. Uh, his uh, you his, know English. <laughs> yeah, his character introduces a lot of mystery into the story. Like who is this strange boy who's wasn't at the party, but he's here now. So what's going on? And as we go along, we find out that there's a lot to him. Like he is a big wig in the vampire world. Yeah, we get some uh, we get some big vampire lore, seem seemingly unrelated about the, or we learn about a ancient gatekeeper vampire 
called the Thorn of Istra. He's the, this vampire is in charge of hunting down fledglings and killing them so that the vampire population doesn't boom out of control and cause a shortage of food. Yeah, because there was a vampire that had started turning a bunch of people, which is when the human world became aware of vampires. And this Thorn of Istra was supposed to kill him and kill all the other new vampires this guy had made, but he didn't, as we find out, and took pity on the guy. And the head vampire of the world, the spider, takes the Thorn of Istra and essentially tortures him for, what is it, 100 years? Yeah. Some, yeah, he gets tortured for a millennia, a century, whatever. A long time. A hundred years. hundred years. <laughs> it's hinted that when we first meet Gabriel that he's being hunted by the Thorn of Istra, which is true in a uh, more metaphorical sense. Tana, when they make it to the cold town, sees a picture of Gabriel and realizes that she's been traveling with the Thorn. And instead of saying something and getting a huge reward... She keeps her mouth shut, figuring if he really wants to go in there for some reason, it must be a big deal, and she better just keep her mouth shut. Yeah, they, uh, Tana and Gabriel do form a very interesting bond on that road trip. Just a little side note. The book takes place in western Massachusetts, which is where we're recording this right now. Holly Black is also from western Massachusetts, and they're going to the city of Springfield, Massachusetts. So it's all kind of... You know, cool thing, especially for someone like me who can now geek out and say, that's near where I live. Hee <laughs> <laughs> hee. Driving by the library, I'm like, ooh, vampires. <laughs> Side note over. <laughs> One thing I do want to talk about, Cold Town, though, is when they, they do go in, just how dilapidated it is. And that was probably one of the parts of the stories that really kind of threw me off. Because it's supposed to, you know, I get it's supposed to be this contrast of what's seen on TV versus the reality. But all I could think of is, how is this sustainable long term? How are these people going to, you know, the humans that are feeding the vampires going to get food? How are they going to keep power and heat in the winter and all that, that stuff? The place is basically on its last leg already, and it's only been a couple of years tops that this coal town has been there. How long before the whole program falls apart and now this quarantine that the government has set up, when does that just not work anymore? Also, I thought it was kind of interesting, the the parallels with our latest pandemic, COVID, and the quarantines and how those were so unsuccessful and how the cold towns across the United States were also so unsuccessful. Yeah, this came out. 10 years before COVID was a thing, so very prophetic in a way, because there are still vampires that escape from these cold towns and go on killing sprees and spread the virus in a way, so there, there are a lot of parallels there. Yeah, but back to Gabriel. Yeah. So, so he's always the, the thorn, and we're finding out that he really wants to kill the head vampire in the Springfield cold town. And why does he want to kill him? Because that bastard turned him into the spider, betrayed him. We also find out that the guy that had been spreading the virus looked like Gabriel, which is it was kind of a mind fuck of typical vampire games where game within a game within a game, and everyone's trying to out sort of trick each other. And it was just kind of peeling back the, all the layers of the onion to say what is the real motives. Yeah, this uh, head vampire Lu- Lucian, he's 
uh, when we meet him, he's very clearly detached from humanity. He's this huge reality show star. He's got, he lives in a mansion in the middle of this ghetto of Cold Town. People are setting themselves on fire in the streets, and he's making it look like it's the biggest party in the world, that everyone's having a great time there. However, he's just doing this all as a entertaining game for himself. He likes to mess with people. He's the one who turned Gavrielle, and he, he's forced Gavrielle to do just horrible things through, throughout time. And there's a, a lot of bad blood between them. Yeah, we, we find out Gavrielle was a Russian. Was he a prince? Yeah, he was royalty of some yeah, sort. Yeah, he was royalty of some sort during the time that the, the royal family was in its heyday in russia and we we learn some interesting russian tales which at least in this neck of the woods we don't really hear very often one story that i recognize from another podcast that i listen to really got me geeking out i'll read it real quick here for those of you listening my book has no sticky notes sticking out of it and it looks like joe has one coming out of just about every page it's pretty bad so good we'll see who finds their reading selections first so this is towards the end of the book chapter 33 where tana and jameson are talking with each other jameson is a boy she meets in cold town that kind of saves her butt a bunch of times as she's wandering around aimlessly Honestly, James. Real quick aside about Jameson. He's essentially an exposition character. He's a person that Tana meets who tells her all about how Cold Town really is. Yeah. So yeah, this is Gabriel. This is them waiting for night so that Tana can save Valentina, Jameson's love interest. So Gabriel is telling the story. Quote. Then let me tell you a story while we wait for dust to fall. When I was a boy, there was a woman who looked after my brother and me. She told us tales of firebirds and witches about the warrior princess called Maria Moravenna, whom Prince Ivan married. Ivan was all alone since he'd given his blessing for his sister to marry a falcon, his second sister to marry an eagle, and the third to marry a raven. They married birds, Tana echoed. Not really so much for the answer as to show she was listening and to make him smile. Birds, who were sometimes men, Gabriel told her. When Ivan saw Maria Moravana's fierceness in battle and her beauty, he fell instantly in love. They were married soon after. But warrior princesses are very busy. So soon, Maria Moravana had to invade somewhere or battle somebody and left Ivan in charge of her kingdom. He had piles of gold and very good caviar and everything anyone could want, except for one thing. She implored him never to go into a single chamber under the palace. Tana thought of her own feet on the dusty steps leading down to her basement and to her mother waiting in the dark. He did, though, didn't he? Leaning in, she rested her head against his chest, closing her eyes. He couldn't resist. Gabriel's accent deepened as he spoke. And there, chained, twelve strong chains, was Koshi the Deathless. And Koshi said, Please, I am so thirsty. Pity me and give me some water. I have been locked away here for ten years, suffering torments you cannot imagine. My throat is so dry. Is this a real story? Tana interrupted, thinking of Gabriel's own decade of torment of his own thirst. But the vampire only laughed. A very famous one, I swear it. 
Anyway, Ivan is a kindly soul and brings Koshi water, but his thirst could not be quenched with a single bucketful, nor with a second bucketful. But when Ivan brought Koshi the third bucketful of water, Koshi was restored to his full strength and broke his chains. The sin of mercy, Thomas said. Gabriel looked a little embarrassed and a little pleased that she'd remembered. Yes, he said softly, cool fingers resting against the skin of her bare shoulder, distracting her. Ivan was merciful, and all the rest of the story is how he paid for it. Koshi kidnapped Maria Moravana and took her away to his own palace, leaving Ivan to chase after them. Three times he was able to find Maria Moravana, and three times he was able to run away with her, but Koshi had a magical horse faster than the wind. The first time Koshi caught Ivan out of the gratitude for the water he'd been given, he let Ivan go with a warning that if he was caught again, he'd be chopped into pieces. The second time Koshi caught Ivan, he let him go with the same fearsome warning. The third time Koshi caught Ivan, he made good on his threats. He chopped Ivan into thirteen pieces with his sword, put the pieces into a tarred barrel, and threw the barrel into the sea. But the falcon, the eagle, and the raven who had married Ivan's sisters fished it out again. They took the pieces of Ivan's body and laid them on the ground like a puzzle. Once they'd put him back together, they sprinkled his body with water, and he woke up again as from a deep sleep. So he was undead, Tana asked, like a vampire? Something like that. He woke up smarter, too, because this time he went to the witch Baba Yaga and won a horse as fine and as fast as Koshi's. With it, he ran away with Maria Moravana one final time. Koshi chased them in his magical horse, but this time, when he caught up, Ivan's horse struck Koshi with a mighty blow, smashing his skull. Then Ivan and Maria Moravana built a pyre and burned Koshi until he was ash. And then they lived happily visiting each of Ivan's sisters and their bird husbands, all of whom declared that Ivan did the right thing to risk so much for a woman as beautiful and as fierce as Maria Moravana. So it's a, definitely a fun story, kind of shortened for the sake of this story, but it mirrors a lot of what's going on in this story, depending on who's in, who you're putting what can, character as a Tana or Gabriel or Lucian and Midnight, you know, they, they could all be interchanged with these different characters at different times. Yeah, that, that, that fable really sums up the entire story, uh, even, you know, foreshadowing how it's going to end with the two heroes together. Uh, I'm glad you read from chapter 33, because I was going to read chapter 32, <laughs> which describes just the absolute brutality of Gabriel's torture. So kind of going back to that fable you just read, where the hero in that story, Koshi, was tortured. This is uh, just really bluntly put what he, just a portion of what he endured and why he's so hell-bent on revenge at this point. So chapter 32, it's very short, it's a lot shorter than what Joe just read, so don't have to get too comfortable. Eight years before, Gavriel came apart. First, the spider cut open his belly. Thing took out his guts and knotted them around the bars of his cage, ropey blue garlands. They gouged out his pomegranate seed eyes. They fed him foul blood and bile on his own skin. They cut him with knives, flogged him with razor-tipped whips, and drove rusty nails into the soles of his feet. When he healed, they did it again, until everything hurt all the time, forever. Pain so vast and terrible and huge, it blotted out thought. 
and so when he came back to himself, his memories were disjointed. He'd ripped out someone's throat, but he was no longer sure whose. There'd been blood everywhere. He'd slipped in it, clotted like soured milk. There was hair, too, a nest of it in a drain. And he remembered who had urged on his tormentors, the face of the creature who smiled down at him. I could tell you, Gabriel thought. I could give you someone else in my place. Someone you like better. Someone you'd hurt worse. But no. They'd taken every other piece of him. He would hold on to revenge. It would be his fairy story. His lullaby. Sung softly by flayed lips. Off-key and deranged. So that story you just told, that is his fable. That's how he wants this whole shindig to go down. And it's all driven by his mad quest for revenge. Yeah, and the, the whole time we have this mysterious spider who is going to come and take Gabriel back. And Lucian is agitated but excited because he knows he's in a bit of trouble because he's the cause of a lot of these issues that the spider is having. And he wants to play the game and take the power and possibly even kill Spider and become the numero uno vampire. Yeah, and this game actually kind of, this game winds up being pretty fun because there's double crossing, triple crossing. Uh, every plan that's laid out in the beginning, Gabriel wants to kill Lucian, and then Lucian, you know, he sacrifices his girlfriend to stave off Gabriel's blood rage, and they convinces him to team up so they can take down the spider together because the spider wants them both dead. So the enemy, my enemy is my friend, and there's this whole like duplicitous thing going on and, until and it blows up finally. Yeah, and end. meanwhile, Tana keeps going in and screwing everyone's plans up, just doing her own thing, not realizing that. Yeah, she only hears the outside of what's going on, so she's yeah. trying to prevent those two working together. And also save her own skin. And meanwhile, like her, she finds out her sister's coming to the cold town because she wants to be a part of the vampire culture. And she's she's she, trying to she get out of there like as fast as possible to head her off. Yeah. yeah. And big reveal turns out that Gabriel is the spider because he killed the spider in his prison break. Yeah. And he inherited all of his powers and abilities. Yep. And so Gabriel gets his revenge in the end. And then on top of it the very end, Tana and Gabriel have their romantic last chapter where Tana's finally going cold because she had been bitten for sure by midnight and she's locked herself in a basement in Cold Town chained to a, basically a wall and it's going to film it live to the, the world so that they can see what going cold and what vampire, vampirism really is instead of the glamour of it. But Gabriel goes down and says, I'm going to watch and hang out with you and take care of you since pain kind of gets me off <laughs> yeah in a way he manages to hold on to his humanity the whole final chapter really is all about returning to human life because Tana's sister Pearl comes to the cold town and that helps Tana realize that she she's been kind of doing this will they won't they does she want to actually become a vampire or not she realizes with Pearl there that her family is important to her and that if she becomes a vampire, she will never see them again. So that's why she decides to lock herself in a basement and endure the 88 days of being cold. But yeah, that last chapter, the even the uh, quote at the beginning is different from the rest because every other quote before that, it's romanticizing death in some way. But this last quote from W. Somerset Mom. Uh, says, death is a very dull, very dreary affair, and my advice to you is to have nothing whatever to do with it. 
so that whole like all the characters in the story at that point after they've after the revenge has been had and the truth has been exposed to them about vampires they want to return to a normal life and even Gabrielle by locking himself in with Tana is showing that he's seeing the beauty of mortality and he wants to help Tana with that so it's, it's very it's very touching in the end it's also there's a great question that's asked in it about how about whether vampir vampirism and that violence and damage that can be caused by it is that something that is just unique to being a vampire or is that something that was within us the entire time waiting to come up to the surface yeah so is there anything else you want to discuss character wise or plot wise that really s spoke out to you I think we I think we hit the characters pretty hard already. You know, we touched on some of the themes in the story. Obviously, anytime there's a vampire story, we're talking about something to do with human sexuality. Just kind of summarizing my final thoughts on the book, though. Before we get yeah, that, I sorry, guess, I'm a little scatterbrained. We'll, yeah, we'll uh, cut that. Let's go a bit deeper with uh, the whole vampire motif and sexuality. I mean... You know, starting from Dracula, it was the foreigner stealing the British women away from their husbands and the multiple wives and possible bisexual type stuff. And most good vampire novels up that ante as society has evolved into a much looser feeling for, towards sexuality. We're at the point now where there's very little that can shock the average person. I mean, there's enough people that would be shocked by the story and the sexuality, but I think you know, most people that are going to read it are going to be like, some of the stuff that Tana's doing, like, well, what's the big deal? Yeah, I guess the question is, why is Tana and Aiden the kind of people that the vampires would want to turn versus someone else that's just begging to get to Cold Town and you know, becoming a receptacle for food for these vampires so tana and aiden as we said before they're they're young adults they're but so are a lot of these other yeah. other people so well that's the first thing is that they're young the ideas of immortality avoiding aging is very appealing I, when i was that age that was so like i couldn't imagine being in my 30s much less an old man so it's there's, there is that appeal from that aspect and going back to sexuality like vampires are just, they're so slutty they're so sexual like even like the way they claim their victims there's biting there's sucking there's pulling them in close it's very intimate if a vampire does it right like the person their their victim wants to be bitten well, I think with this with Tana and Aiden they're always willing to up the ante they're, they're willing to go one step further but it's not for a need of wanting something more it's just trying to outdo each other where most of these people that want to become vampires are in a more submissive role they want they want that power they want that bloodlust but they're debasing themselves instead of playing the game they're groveling instead of saying you, you want me to grovel okay well i'm going to grovel so hard that it's going to embarrass you. Yeah, and Tana also has that added layer of being a vampire will give her a connection with her mother as well. 
because she constantly has those dreams that her and her mother are together again and they're vampires and everything is great so that is why she like even though when she's bitten she doesn't know whether she wants to endure the cold or become a vampire yeah I mean, it's not something that she necessarily wants but she's willing to except do the one up to to challenge those who say are you really good enough and she'll say of course i'm good enough if I'm not going to do it, it's because I don't want it, not because of you told me I have to have it. So as a novel, this is kind of a, a mixture of romance, horror, and teen drama. You know, how how do they compare throughout the novel, and is was any overdone, underdone? How would you put it you know, that way? I mean, romance is always overdone. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a pretty light touch until the end. And it had a nice, good, slow burn to build up to it. It wasn't just hot and heavy. Yeah, I always feel like with these like horror romances, there's always like times when the romance like seeps into a horror scene and it's kind of just makes it awkward. Like when I don't like Gabrielle's finally getting his revenge and Tana's sitting there. Like it's supposed to be kind of a scary scene where we see him in his full power and she's sort of like, wow, he's so hot right now. Yeah, I think a lot of times in the, the handful of these kind of books that are romance horror, it gets kind of rapey or just very icky, very fast, very questionable, uh, uncomfortable for consent where i don't think this one ever really crossed that line i mean there was definitely the hints of oh yeah of rape and of well there's always that uh with the ancient vampire being attracted to the teenage girl scenario like even in like twilight like edward's 200 years old and he's attracted to 17 year old bella we got that kind of similar situation here with gabrielle's from 19th century russia and he's attracted to this this young young lady and i think part of that too though is the vampires don't realize how old they are i think they're still living in the 20 year old body they think they're 20 years old and it's kind of like people you know age is almost meaningless to you when you're never gonna die i mean i look and i i walk around thinking i'm the same 20 year old i was and i look in a mirror and it's like the biggest punch in the gut (laughs) every morning and like yep i guess i'm old now but so if it was, you know, I get the if I'm same not looking, feeling when I look at you. If I'm not looking in a mirror, you know, I can forget just how old I am. But at this, you know, at the same time, I see a 20-year-old and I'm kind of weirded out because I've matured too. I don't think a lot of the vampires ever matured. So I, I think you know, that the whole age difference is more of a outsider human perspective than a vampire perspective. And vampires might seem wise and mystical, though they've had a completely different set of experiences that humans will never have. So their actual like shared what they have in common ideas are yeah, they're gonna be similar. Like vampires will have young ideas because they don't know what it means to be a grown human. Yeah, but back back to the question. I guess when I looked at it, you know, it has its horror elements, monsters and everything. But it was never really horror. It was more of a an action thriller. There was never anything that would stop and give me nightmares or you know really question. Yeah, it borrows heavily from mystery and like you said, action thriller. There's the whole mystery of who is Gabrielle and what does he really truly want. Yeah, and that's peeled back. And there's even like a whole 
like after we learn that he's a spider, there's like the whole reveal of the role he played in the massacre in the beginning of the book and what he was really doing throughout the course of the story when he, either when he was on the page or if his character was elsewhere. Yeah. So what do you think Holly Black is trying to say in this story? What's her message that she's trying to push? I think there's two messages. Like one message is the importance of family because that it keeps coming back to that family unit and that whether it's her relationship with her sister, her dad, or her mom, that has shaped who she is more than anyone else, anything else. And then there's also don't trust what you see on TV. Because make a Fight Club reference. There's like a cup of coffee in every scene in Fight Club. There's a camera in almost every scene in Coldest Girl in Cold Town. Someone's live streaming something or another. And it's either getting heavily edited, it's getting sexified, it's getting romanticized. But like you said, when they get to the Cold Town and it's a total dump of, it's a horror ghetto, it's a nightmare scenario. That's the real reality that you don't see. So it's it's a pretty clear message, like Holly Black is saying, like, get off the get off the internet. Yeah, I kind of got, you know, she's asking, what is a vampire? Why are we drawn to them? The answer we kind of talked about earlier. Uh, she's also examining the self-destructive behaviors that teens tend to have. Yeah, it goes back to that question, is, are those things that vampires possess that savage and raw and evil things that they're capable of doing, is that something that's unique to vampires, something within us? And I think she's implying that sh- this is within us. Yeah, it's like within the, us. and yeah. uh, Humans uh, are capable of horrible yeah. things. Especially kids. And a lot of these kids are willing to throw their lives away for the chance of glory. So do you think this story was good as a YA, or could she have made it more of an adult novel with more graphic scenes and that kind of stuff? Generally, in my experience as a... Uh, high school librarian the only difference between YA and adult fiction is the age of the main character generally YA the characters are between the ages of 16 and 19 and they'll be older if they're if it's an adult book uh, and that's just for appeal honestly there are so many books out there for adults that will read like just like YA there might be more detail there might be more graphic descriptions but honestly, like, there's there's a lot of graphic detail. Like that chapter I read where Gabrielle's getting tortured, that's that's something you would read in, in an adult book as well. And the last question I got is, and you probably won't be able to answer this, as you said, you don't really remember her other books that you have read, but how is this book similar to her other stories? And you know, from my recollection, having read a lot of her stories, Holly Black does a lot of dark themes. She's very good at them. Her modern fairy tale trilogy, it's about teenagers essentially taking drugs, like heroin, but calling it fairy dust instead where they're 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 very thinly veiled metaphors. Yeah, but it's a bunch of dr- teenage drug addicts getting hooked on this powder that they get off of the the fairy folk who just kind of naturally make it and these people getting drawn in her latest series it's about humans stuck in fairy tale world with elf like creatures 
who are just going around torturing everybody and them trying to just survive and become the worst of the worst of the red hatters and what have you to to make it and how the this one girl basically takes over the whole realm by out foxing the 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 foxes essentially so this follows along similar lines where for tana to survive she has to be more vampiric than the vampires and outwit them outplay them at their own game and just to the point where even they're shocked at her violence and willingness to do whatever it takes yeah i haven't read much holly black what I have read of her that I remember is that she has a lot of characters, and this is very common in YA, that in some way, shape, or form will have a coming-of-age moment where they realize what they're capable of and who they want to be as people in the real world. This book is very consistent with that. Okay. What are your final thoughts? Well, contrary to what you might think of me, I actually wrote this down. So, What? <laughs> So I, and I quote myself here, this is a well-written teen fiction that plays tribute to the vampire stories that came before it. It rises in its writing and its character study above a lot of other vampire schlock that came out in that post-Twilight era. It includes Twilight itself. That book, Those books are garbage. Anyway, the prose of this book, it's a very character-driven story, which is, is fun with a vampire kind of background. Because there's less action and a lot more, like, why do I care about these people? And explains that very well. Relationships are all fleshed out. The main characters all have a part to play. There's lots of twists and turns, unexpected happenings. Tana's fate gets left ambiguous at the end, which I, I find really cool. Like, is she yeah. going to make it the whole time or not? It's... Yeah, I always enjoy those kind of open-ended things where you just don't know what's going to happen with everything. You don't need everything spelled out. You can kind of come up with your own conclusions yeah and it carries with it that just sense of hope that her story whether she recovers or not is going to change how people view vampires so uh, there were some things that i kind of kind of bug me about it holding it back number one the opening line do better and it does it, ha it always happens with books that are 400 pages there's going to be parts where it might drag a little bit and the part when they first got to cold town it dragged a little bit. They started introducing, like, yeah, they introduced, like, ten characters, rapid fire. Yeah, halfway through the book. Yeah, halfway through the book. And, you know, that's that's three or four chapters of the book, especially the way it's paced out with and spaced out with a lot of backstory. Like, these characters are there. And then two chapters later, you find out they were only there so that someone was there to get killed. Because a lot of those characters end up dying really fast. And it was just kind of jarring, and it was almost like a dividing space between the road trip in the beginning and the kind of espionage book at the end. It was awkward. But I gave the book four stars. It's very, very well done. I enjoyed it. Okay. My final thoughts, and I'll quote myself. <laughs> I'll be a bit more, well, I'll be a bit rambly, not probably more than you just were, but... Uh, yeah, that was me writing it down. Okay, quote... This is one of my favorite books of all time. It succeeds in keeping me captivated, even after multiple reads. The book can feel real at times. It's the, the, the characters feel like they could exist. Yeah, obviously vampires don't exist, but you could totally see a Tana or a, an Aiden 
or a Jameson. Those kinds of relationships do exist. Yeah, you you could, you know, you just those personalities exist. It's a psychological thrill ride where Tana is trying to save everyone and realizing sometimes you just can't save everyone. It kind of a like you said, Alex, a coming of age story. Uh, Holly Black has a clear understanding of psychology and philosophy. Throughout the text, she's constantly referencing famous psychologists or philosophical ideas. The fascination of death and eternal youth in the human mind is extremely well thought out and given to the reader in a way so that they can create their own conclusions. Even at the end, the reader is left with the uncertainty of if Tom will be able to become human again. And that's just something I love. You know, where they, the author doesn't have to explain every little thing to you. Doesn't have to write twenty books to cover every little minute detail of every character. Leave the the mystery. Yeah, know, wheel it, of time. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy the use of the other characters that come in. I know you kind of thought they were just filler, but Valentina and Jameson, I thought were definitely strong characters when they did come in, and they were well orchestrated there yeah, i thought valentine more so than jameson like i said jameson was sort of like there to explain things well i mean but you, you need it you know tana need that i mean she's in an unfamiliar yeah. area and yeah he was, he was useful for that uh i mean, said so these characters were well fleshed out and you know they were just treated as normal people instead of you know i guess like valentina you if you find out is a trans individual but that's not the driving personality of her which I thought in a lot of modern literature, people tend to miss the mark where all of a sudden that's their identity, their trans. And this was not who she was. She was just a strong individual that wanted to date Jameson, but thought he had a vampire girlfriend who turned out to be his mom. So I thought this book was nearly perfect. I mean, there's like every book, there's always some problems, but I definitely gave it a five out of five stars. So my kind of thesis question in this is, why does this book belong with all the other famous and lasting works of the vampire genre? You know, we both kind of compared it to Interview and Dracula and stuff like Buffy. Why does it belong there? Why, or why doesn't it? You think? You know, books that are also out there, like you said, are Twilight, which shouldn't be there. You know, we we both agree this is definitely not a Twilight type of book. Well, books like Dracula and Interview with a Vampire, they use the vampire motif to hold up a mirror to humanity they explore use those undercurrents of lust and desire and power to examine humanity's darker nature and that's why dracula was so outrageous when it first came out because it pushed the envelope on what you would read in print back in the 1890s where whenever it came out interview was the same way like what does it mean to live forever and like louis in that book is he gets that immortality and he's just miserable you feel the same way with lestat even though he hides it better in this book you see vampires losing their will to live and setting themselves on fire in the street and you see other vampires who've become detached from humanity and are are treat humans like their play toys and in all these books they suggest that we as a people are capable of horrible things in our quest for power and uh, and greater I don't 
I won't say greater, but different kind different kinds of lifestyles that you can live. So yeah, I and like I don't know, Twilight doesn't really do that. It's teen romance. It it's almost straight teen romance with like halfway through they realize oh there needs to be some action in here too. So they you know just throw random vampires who are gonna cause a mess in the whole thing. So yeah, this yeah. book is it's it's very good. I I I would put it with interview with a vampire as far as quality goes it's not as morose or depressing but it's i mean it I, certainly has its moments i definitely agree with you with uh, a lot of what you said the you know we're doing a deep dive in you know psychopathic and sociopathic people and questioning are vampires and people really you know that different in that path sociopathic way i think this is a kind of a good update like you have dracula which well over hundred well over hundred years old now, but it's kind of dated. It, you know, hard for modern audience to read. I think Anne Rice's books are kind of heading in that direction also, even though they're a lot newer. I mean, they're still what, close to fifty years old. Yeah, I think the first book came out in the seventies. Yeah, so you know, talking fifty years old now almost. So this is. I think Anne Rice recently passed away, didn't she? Did she? I think so. Oh. That's terrible. How do, I, how do we miss that? <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, this this book kind of mixes interview with a vampire with like the Buffy TV show, where it's a little bit more action, a little bit more geared towards the modern audience, but without going into just full romance mode like Twilight and just kind of wimpifying vampires into this idealistic little monster thing that's not really a monster, just kind of creepy pedophiles yeah but it has a lot of those same aspects through the storytelling that interview does and dracula does of fleshing out and answering real questions about the human psychology so that is the coldest girl in cold town by holly black and in this conversation we can all agree that none of these books dracula interview buffy the vampire slayer coldest girl in cold town none of them hold a candle to blade Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that has been Cole's Girl in Cold Town, Holly Black. So Alex, you want to tell us what we're going to be reading for next month? Ah, uh, yes I would. Ooh. Or should it be a mystery? <laughs> All right, I'm going to make them wait for five seconds. Our next book is going to be And Then There Were None. By Agatha Christie. Quick, I'll do two seconds on that. Agatha Christie, one of the top two best-selling authors of all time, uh, wrote mystery novels, created uh, Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple, and then there were none. Is the best-selling mystery novel of all time, and it is uh, absolute banger of a book. So, uh, give that a read, and we'll talk about that next time. Yeah. So, looking forward to that. So, like and subscribe. All that jazz, these comments. If you want to email us, we have an email. It is. And we like to wake up in the morning and like drink coffee together, and we'll read our emails and we'll we'll giggle. Yep. Have Alex, a weighted. Bl- Alex is good at giggling like yeah. a little girl. We have a we have a weighted blanket we sit under. <laughs> so our email is kendallbookworms at gmail dot com. That is K E N D A L L B O O K W O-R-M-S at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. Yep.
As long as you're not mean to us, please. Yeah, please be nice. We're, we're fragile. Yeah, you hear that, Joe's fragile. <laughs> well, until next time, this has been Bookworms. Out. <laughs>